0: God, thank you for your life. Thank you for what it means. Um, thank you for uh, what we're going to celebrate this morning. I pray that we would just just have a heart for you, God. That it would just help us to see you more clear. Uh, that you would speak through Michael. Uh, that you would please speak into our hearts, God. Grow us this morning shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And while you're doing so, if you can turn to Exodus 12, a passage we have been in for the last several weeks. Um, When I was in high school and junior high in the 80s, most, I don't know if it was a Friday night or a Saturday night, but most Friday or Saturday nights at friend's house, we would watch professional wrestling. And uh, in professional wrestling, if you're not familiar with that genre of entertainment, um, uh, there are good guys and bad guys in professional wrestling. Um, and I knew people who always rooted for the bad guys, and I knew people who always rooted for the good guys, but there was a most of the time a pretty clear demarcation of who were the good guys and who were the bad guys, but like any good soap opera, at times a bad guy would become a good guy and vice versa. And so you had to kind of watch ongoing like a soap opera to keep track of, of who you were supposed to be rooting for in professional wrestling uh, that mindset really is not just um limited to wrestling it sort of pervades our culture uh and in the 80's there were lots of good guys and lots of bad guys uh, the United States was the good guy, the Russians were the bad guys uh, for me personally the Longhorns were the good guys, the Sooners were the bad guys um, Bo and Luke were the good guys. Boss Hogg was the bad guy. Um, And all of that took place in the 80s. Some of you don't know who Bo and Luke are. Um, Some of you older people know who they are. If you're young, you know who that is, ask your parents. They'll tell you. They might even show you something on the Internet that would um, thrill your soul if you watched it. (laughs) I suppose. Uh, But that carries over to today. We still... Play that game today. There are good guys and there are bad guys. And most of the time, I like to think of myself, and maybe you do too, as one of the good guys. I like to think of myself, and probably you do too, as one of the good guys in life. And then you may decide who the bad guys are. For each of us, that probably looks differently. Um, again, as we said, we're in the middle of walking through similarities between Exodus, uh, the Passover, and the Lord's Supper, and here is where we have been. Uh, several weeks ago, we talked about that both talk about new beginnings, both emphasize the family. Uh, they require preparation. Specifically for us, we talked about that that preparation Jesus asked us to do is prayer. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about that both centered around sacrifice. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about that. Both of those are a call to remember. A call to remember. And in Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse 14, he writes Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. A memorial, something that you're supposed to remember. And what are they supposed to remember? Well, what God has done. And He lists several things that He's going to do. Um, In 12.12, it says that He would judge the gods of Egypt. In 12.29, it says that He struck the Egyptians. They're supposed to remember these things. In 13.8, there's this idea that there was personal deliverance... From slavery, God did this for me, the text says. That each individual person, as they're sitting around that meal as a family, they should be thinking, God did this for me. He brought me out of slavery. Yes, it was a national event, but again, as we've talked about, it was a very personal aspect of what was going on. And in 1315, it says that God judged Pharaoh's stubbornness. And even here we see, see there are good guys and there are bad guys. Right, Israel is the good guy and Egypt are the bad guys. Except that doesn't really wash. Because God told them you need to take the blood from that lamb that you sacrifice and you need to basically paint your doorway with that. And if you do that, then the judgment that's coming will pass over you. Implication being, if you don't do that, the judgment that's coming is not going to pass over you. Well, why not? Aren't, weren't the Israelites the good guys? And I would say if we read the text carefully, the answer is no, because the Israelites, at least up to this point, well, and afterwards too, were not any less stubborn than Pharaoh including Moses. Moses, I'm sending you. Well, God, I, I don't talk real well. Well, that doesn't matter. Moses, I'm sending you. Well, I, they might not believe me. Mo, right? He he was digging in his heels. I don't want to do this. And then he shows up and he tells the people, I'm going to deliver you. And as they begin to talk to Pharaoh, Pharaoh puts more and more burdens on the people. And they go, uh, Moses, what are you doing? It doesn't feel like deliverance. The people of Egypt were just as stubborn as people of Israel were just as stubborn as Pharaoh. What about that judging the gods business? Well, we read in Amos 5, and then Stephen repeats that idea in Acts chapter 7. That when they came out of Egypt, they brought gods with them. And you go, really? All that they saw God do, they brought idols with them out of Egypt. We need to remove that good guy, bad guy dichotomy and recognize that everybody in Egypt was the bad guy. And for some reason, God chose to have mercy on the descendants of Jacob. Everybody in Egypt was the bad guy. And for some reason, God chose to have mercy on the descendants of Jacob. I don't know why He did that. There were no good guys. There were just people that were recipients of grace. And I'm assuming... If any of the Egyptians, and I think probably the text implies that some of them did, if they had done the same thing, they would have been spared because it says that God brought His people out in a mixed multitude. There were other people besides Jews who left with them. There's a good chance that, that some of those Israelites may have told their neighbor, hey, here's how you avoid this. Again, we move forward 1,500 years and um, the disciples are gathered around a, a table. And Jesus also says, I want you to do this in remembrance of Me. The Lord's Supper is also a memorial to what God has done. What did He do? Well, He judged sin in His Son instead of us. Every wrong, every injustice, every sin, all the shame, all the grief, all the brokenness. God chose to nail it to the cross in His Son. And He instituted the Lord's Supper as a, a reminder to us that we're supposed to celebrate as a memorial. To remind us that that has been done, that God has taken care of all of those things on the cross. And so as we read in, at the end of Romans, right, your, your goal is not to judge and to get vengeance because God's already done that. Now we think, I've been wronged, I've been hurt, I've been shamed, I've been wounded, I've been injured. And God says, that sin I have judged on the cross. I still want to say, okay, around that table that night, there were the good guys and there were the bad guys. Judas, in particular, was the bad guy. And the other disciples were the good guys. But that doesn't wash either. Because shortly after that meal, what did they all do? Well, they split. None of them hung around to, to... see how things would turn out. None of them said, hey, I'm on your side. They all fled. Well, Peter didn't really flee. He sort of slunk behind in the shadows, right? But I'm just going to hang out in the courtyard and see what happens to Jesus. But then, I guess the fire got too hot and the questions got too personal and he denied his friend and his Savior. See, there were no good guys around that table. There were a bunch of bad guys, and then there were recipients of grace. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We're not any different than those people that were in Egypt. We're not any different than those people sitting around the table. We like to say there are good guys and bad guys, but in God's perspective where holiness is the standard, there are bad guys and there are recipients of God's grace. And so when we ask ourselves, okay, so what, what do I do with that? We have to remember where we have come from. If we're going to prepare ourselves to celebrate the resurrection in a couple of weeks, we really need to remember how far God has brought us. It's not just enough to remember, oh yeah, God's gracious. See, I can find myself sometimes going, yeah, God is gracious, but I'm not as bad off as somebody else. And we need to remember that God has brought us a long way. And so the, the first response to, to to those two stories is we all need to know that we're not the good guys in this story. There is only one good guy in the story, and his name is Jesus. We're not the good guys in this story. Look at Ephesians 2 for a moment. For Paul lays this out very clearly of our state. And he asks his readers to do the same thing that Moses asked the people of Israel and Jesus asked his disciples to do, to remember. Passover is to be a a memorial. You're supposed to remember what God has done. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. Remember what God has done. And Paul says, I want you to remember something. We often say, well, you shouldn't live in the past. And Paul says, sometimes it's important to live in the past because we forget how far we've been brought. He begins in verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Dead people don't do anything. They don't have the ability to give themselves life. We don't believe in spontaneous generation says, You walked according to the course of the world and according to the prince of the power of the air. In other words, all the decisions that you made prior to knowing who Christ was were done because the evil one was having you do those things, even things that may have appeared good. Your motivation, your goals, your purposes... Your life was lived according to His purposes and not God's. We lived in the lusts of our flesh. It was all about me. Even if I do something for someone else, ultimately it was so that I would be noticed or that I would feel good. It was for my flesh. It was nothing eternal. It was for me. I'm building my own kingdom. And the result of that, at the end of verse 3, we were by nature children of wrath. And then he goes on in in verse 11, Remember you, formerly Gentiles, verse 12, remember that you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope without God in the world. This this language of separation, this language of exclusion, this language of despair and nothingness. No hope without God. And then like in verse 4 and verse 13, there's this this conjunction that, that does give us hope, but... Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, we Paul paints a picture. We were the bad guys, but we've been recipients of grace. He's given us a way to to paint our door with blood that we would be passed over. He did it on a cross. And so the first thing that we need to do is to remember where we were and to really buy into that truth. I did not think, well, I was a pretty decent guy. You know, I was an okay girl. I wasn't that bad. I wasn't as bad as her. We need to remove that language of comparison. If we're going to compare with anybody, it's, God, were you holy? No. Remember that we were as far away from God as we could get. And then, the second thing we've got to do is don't despair. Because God has done something. Because He's made a way through His Son, through the Lamb that was slain. We remember, as Paul says in chapter 2, Verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. And in verse 8, By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We don't despair because He's given us life. As, As we sang, we have life because He's Risen. You have life, right? you were dead. You have life because of what Christ did on the cross and that the Father raised him from the dead. And when we identify that, identify with that by faith, believing that his death and the resurrection forgave our sins, then we also have life, and we have the hope in the resurrection. And then third, we need to be very mindful that there are lots of other people that were in the same boat as us. There are people who are lost that need the hope that we have. And to recognize that there are no lost causes. Because if God could change you who were dead and a child of wrath, right? we can't look at someone and say, oh, well, they're... They're beyond God's help. Because the simple truth is we were all beyond our own help and none of us are beyond God's help. And so everybody out there, everybody we come across, we need to be mindful of if they're lost, they need hope. They need to know the, know the joy that we have in salvation and in life. And so as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection, part of that preparation comes in remembering. Remembering who we were and remembering how far God has brought us. And all the other things that that I've asked you to think about over the last uh, four weeks, we need to add this one to it. I would encourage you this week to spend time in that Ephesians chapter 2 passage and just think... That is really who you were. Regardless if you were raised in a nice family and you grew up as a good kid, spiritually that's who you were. We need to spend time this week meditating on that passage. And then, remembering that God has brought you all the way from death to eternal life. All the way from a child of wrath to one who has his favor and blessings. One who has been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And let that sit in our souls this week. So that in a couple weeks when we prepare to celebrate the resurrection, uh, we do so with um, not say renewed emotion, but a renewed fervor of joy and thankfulness. And gratefulness for what He has done for us. That He might be glorified in our praises and in our life. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You that You have brought us from death to life. From wrath to joy. From sorrow to hope. From purposelessness to purposefulness. From having no hope to having a great hope. And that you did all of that through your Son on the cross. God, I pray that you would remind us that all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our doubt has been paid for. God, and then by your Spirit, help us to to put those thoughts that nag us and that keep us and that hound us aside. And then through your Spirit, help us to be mindful that um, we are free from sin and that we need to fight that battle daily. The power that raised Christ from the dead, God, help us to know that that dwells in us and that we can fight sin for your glory and for the good of your church. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. And I hope that you have a marvelous week of rejoicing in His goodness.